Steph, Q. Woo! Good evening, everybody, and welcome to another Taking Territory episode of Ignite Radio Live. It's your part, Q. But I'm lo- loving this song, and I'm picturing little Vaughn Hunterbrinker running all around. This is his song. Because he likes this song? Yes. So, so should I say it again to Q? It, no, or? it's okay. Just okay. give it a moment. Right? Readings are going down very no, fast. No, no. And that's my mom. So, we are delighted to be with you over the five mighty stations of Annunciation Radio. You are with Greg and Stephanie Schleter and two very special guests, Liz and Walt Erickson. And John Paul, can't forget a shout out to JP, our sound dude. Eve of his 18th birthday. That's right. So pray for the young lad, John Paul. So folks, I, I began this by saying this is a Taking Territory episode. What do I mean by that? Ephesians 6.12, we fight not against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers in the heavenly realms. Folks, we're at battle. We see the battle playing out through all the media that we consume, the news around us throughout the world. We experience it in our own community. We experience it in our own churches. We experience it in our own homes and marriages and families. The enemy hates us because we are fashioned in the image and likeness of God in Jesus Christ. I'll say it again. He hates you and me. A preternatural enemy from the beginning of time knows and sees the world that we operate in and wants nothing more than for us to forfeit our birthright in Christ, our baptism right in Christ. And he's cunning. He knows how to introduce those, the attractive fruit before us to cause us to choose things that seem good but that aren't good. And so when we read about things like the U.S. Senate voting against protection for children who are born after a botched abortion, that's the work of the enemy. That's the work of him introducing um, fruit that is causing people to be deluded and deceived And, of course, we see that play out in many regards, even in our institutional church. Given by Christ that the gates of hell may not prevail against it, let's pronounce that and declare that. But to give us a church comprised of human beings, that's you and me also, by the way. And uh, how many of us are mourning and grieving for perhaps less than forthright and clear directions in addressing some major crisis situations in our church? We're all part of that mess. We're all part of that mix. And without the mess, we wouldn't need a Messiah. Never before have we needed to call upon the Messiah. And maybe that's what what is happening here. Number one, things that are hidden are coming to light. We're seeing the truth of forces that have been playing out right in our face. I mean, who would have ever thought that an entire political party would vote to allow us to kill an unborn child who survived an abortion? I got to say it because it's biblical. What the hell? It's a battle, folks, and if we don't recognize this battle and if we don't respond to it, the enemy is going to keep taking territory. And here's the thing. You and I have been given the means to conquer the enemy, but are we using it? Are we acting in the power and authority of Jesus Christ that he has given us? Or how many times are we passing moments of conflict and we fail? We fail to speak in love. We fail to address things, sometimes challenge things, knowing we're all fallen. So... We increasingly want to surround ourselves with people who are going to inspire us and challenge us to be the most God called us to be. We cannot shrink from this task. God desires us in the midst of this challenge to have a radical reliance on him, to be aware of our radical reliance to be the godly husbands and fathers, husbands and wives, uh, 
wives and mothers. You get what I'm saying? God desires us to be that as he's designed us to be. And uh, we need to lean into it and receive his grace, trust in him. So let's face it, it's foreboding sometimes. We experience our awkwardness. We experience our reservations, our fears, our doubts. But we've got to say, Lord, I need your grace. I need you, Jesus, to be what you called me to be. So let's begin tonight in prayer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Lord Jesus, attune us to these beatitudes that you speak to us in this time, in this place, at this point in history. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. For they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil things against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Lord, forge us in attitudes of beatitude. Forge our deeper desires and character for you and for the kingdom. We ask this in your name through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Can I just comment one thing on that beautiful prayer and beautiful scripture? Something that always stands out to me whenever... um, I pray with the Beatitudes or hear them proclaimed at Mass, that it's blessed is. So it's a present tense. It's not something that we look forward to being blessed in, but the Lord promises all those things like it's happening right Mm -hmm. now. Even though you may not feel it or experience it, blessed is or blessed are. Um, So just that power and grace in the present Mm -hmm. moments and holding on in hope and abiding in the Lord for that second half of the promise to come. So, folks, we are blessed to have our good brother and sister in Christ, Walt and Liz Erickson. We've known them for three, four years. Met them at a core mission event at Holy Trinity three, four years ago. Quickly recognized the occasion that we could be for refiners' fire, for growing in faith. Walt is now on our board and a kingdom builder, which means he's part of this team of men and women striving to live it out. Um, he and Liz, are he's running the family business right now, and... Uh, Six beautiful children, Allie, age 10, down to little Lucy, who celebrated her first birthday with one little soul in heaven. So like us, we have six children and then add one in heaven. So they have little Mary in heaven. And um, just if you know them, you, you know hearts that have been just profoundly gifted with a love and an earnestness and others knowing Christ and living the fullness in Christ. And also, I think, the blessing of um, seeking truth and speaking truth, even when it's difficult, even when we're on the road ourselves. I have to say, I particularly like that because it's rare to be with brothers and sisters who are striving for truth while we're still on the journey and to try to speak it and to become virtuous. It's a challenge. So, so blessed to know them and blessed to have you with us tonight, Walt and Liz. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome, welcome. So we always like to say that we defeat the enemy by what? The blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. We didn't really say that. John said that in Revelations, Revelations twelve eleven. Blood of the Lamb is the holy mass and the word of our testimony. And we like to punctuate that it doesn't need to be this big, dramatic 
moment. If it is that, praise God. But let's face it, usually it's throughout our lives. It's moments throughout our lives, and God wants us to give testimony. So I invite you tonight again to pray about who are those that you are meant to give testimony to? How are you meant to share the gospel of God alive in your story? And that's what we're going to do tonight. We are have been uh, sharing the stories of wonderful husbands and wives on the journey, on the road together, and we are so blessed in this community of Toledo to be journeying together, to be going after it, to be claiming territory. So we're going to begin with you, Liz, first, just sharing with us. <laughs> you know, sure, put you good. right on the spot. <laughs> um, we'll start separately first. So right. share with us, Liz, a little bit of your journey of knowing Christ and more deeply desiring to live for him. Okay, so I am the youngest of four children and grew up in a Catholic home. Um, We went to Mass every Sunday. We prayed before meals. We did everything that you're supposed to do, but we were missing that relationship with Jesus. And because of that, I feel like, well, I know, all four of us kids strayed at one point. For me, it was in college. Um, actually, I think for all of my siblings, it was in college. A couple were in high school. And the the unfortunate part of that is, is my father did have that relationship with Jesus, but he didn't share that with us. He was a very private man. Um, so then in college, I met my wonderful, handsome husband. <laughs> He's looking for somebody else but it's him (laughs) um and again we i was not living the faith i was going to church very occasional if i wasn't i was at home and then i would go to church a couple times i went in college but not very often but i did have it in my heart that i wanted to be married in the catholic church and i wanted to raise my children catholic so i mean at least i had that there there was you know there was a little bit of something something planted something stuck yep And so I remember when, you know, Walt and I were talking about marriage, I'm like, I'm not, I I, I straight up said, I am not going to marry you if if these are not okay with you. And um, he obviously agreed that that was okay. So that was good. So then we got married and going through marriage prep and all that. And we started to go to church a little bit more, a little bit more occasional, but can I pause you a second? Because I, I know it's we're weaving the journey of your faith and your growth, and it's awesome. But let's bring Walt up to the point and go chronologically forward, oh, yeah. if you don't mind. Sure. It'll be you just got paused. doubly interested. I'm but okay it's, with being paused. We're with you. Yep, yep, we're good. Walt, the Church of Rush Limbaugh. Yes. <laughs> Tell us. It was a Church of Rush Limbaugh. My dad grew up without a father after the age of 14. His father passed away, and he struggled very mightily, um, I believe, in what that meant for him and how he was going to live the rest of his life. And he had some goals set. Um, He had a goal to be married, goal to have children, goal to own a lake house, goal to run his own business. And at 14, he was working 40 hours a week. Um, His freshman year of high school, working 40 hours a week. Um, In our family, work ethic was the moral compass. Everything was about work ethic. And if you didn't have one, you were pretty much useless. Um, now, when I say that, my dad had a great heart, giving man. He loved us very much, spent lots of time with us. I don't mean that any judgment to my father whatsoever. And I'm so thankful for that moral compass, um, for I, that piece of the moral compass, if you will. Um, it did more, more good than harm, but it, it definitely it made me judgmental. Anyways, as, as I grew up, that was my lens. Everything was looked through that lens. 
and um, um, very politically conservative family and went to Bedford for grade school, junior high, went to Central Catholic for high school, um, both reasonable experiences all the way through, went to Ball State, met my wife. You're not Catholic, by the way. I am not. Nope. Nope. You weren't anyway. I think uh, you probably went to, to Catholic church. My mom was Catholic. You were baptized away. Catholic. Though. I was baptized Catholic. Mm. So you were Catholic. Yep. Just, just not, not confirmed. <laughs> That's correct. Not confirmed. Um, that, happened much, that happened much later. But my mom, my mom drug us to Catholic church a handful of times around Christmas or Easter. And then um, that, was, like that was it. Church shopping. He even went to like Jehovah's Witness for a yeah, while. Yeah, a couple of times. Yeah. Really? Yeah. 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 yeah, my dad put the kibosh on that pretty quick. <laughs> <laughs> so, so high school, you're an athlete, and uh, you're in the scene and probably popular. And uh, and what, trace, trace for us how God, if you will, was leading you through high school and into college. Well, I don't know if I was popular or an athlete, but I sure tried hard. Um, <laughs> college, college was a huge awakening. And I think, going back to what Liz said, how a lot of people lose their faith in college and so forth, I think uh, many of our generation were the first to go to college. Many, many, many of our parents mm-hmm. did not. So the, the world's yeah. telling us, get your kids to college, get your kids to college. Well, our parents had no clue what they were actually sending us to. And so there was no training, right? There's no preparation. Um, I think what, what hurts my soul even more are now the parents who know what college is like. And they're still pushing. And they're still pushing um, for their kids to go just to go, even without a plan. Um, clearly, clearly there are many reasons to go to college, many very good reasons, and many good colleges to choose from. However, to take an 18-year-old that you have been – disciplining and disciplining and disciplining up until the day they leave from home to college and or thinking they're going to not disciplining what well yeah <laughs> right, right. anyways not a good not a good scenario so college was college was like whoa uh, obviously went away to college had scholarship to play men's volleyball and um met my wife and my moral compass at that point in time was pretty much whatever Whatever floated my boat, whatever made sense um, to me. I had no governing body whatsoever. I didn't have faith to follow me. And so uh, I'm very, very fortunate, very blessed, actually, that I met my wife very early on because I know much more sin would have followed if I had not. So so the day you went into the classroom, it must have been a warm day uh, given the circumstances that you will share. I wasn't describe, describe the moment you met the lovely Elizabeth Orth and what ensued. Tell us the story. Oh, Okay, this is going to be rated PG-13 for a second. <laughs> Ratings are going up as we speak. <laughs> so my wife was wearing shorts that were so incredibly short, it was ridiculous. You liked it. I should, I should say my wife, I should say this girl, this 18-year-old girl. And uh, as I kept looking up, I was like, well, those are really long legs. And then I realized she was actually quite pretty, too. <laughs> Why, thank you. Yeah, and then she looked at me Real and smiled. Real honesty, I love it. And, uh, Theology of the body. So this is yes. like, you know, discovering God from the body side of things. The body the came up. first a little bit. Anyways, go ahead. I di- we digress. Uh, like, well, I think my mind pretty much went right to where it shouldn't have gone. And then uh, we met. Right, we actually introduced each other, 
Chris, uh, no, Chris introduced we, we introduced us. ourselves. Well, no, because I knew I knew your buddy Chris. Yeah, Jimmy, that was up there yeah. with I love you. this. And, <laughs> and so he introduced us. He and, did. Uh, oh, she's fine. Oh, okay. okay. Go ahead. Thank you for interrupting <laughs> me. No, I appreciate it. See, we we're still working on that. <laughs> so, freshman year, we became very very close, inseparable, almost instantaneously. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Um, and that's where. You know, when, when when we have our relationship, how we had it, and it was it was so deep, so fast, I struggle when I hear some of these other couples are like, well, it took me two years to ask this person on a date, and I'm thinking, how is that possible? Yeah, you knew like, right away. Because I knew within weeks I wanted to marry this girl. I was calling my mom, hey, I met this guy, he's super, he's super cool, and she's like, well, why don't you bring him home? Grandma and Grandpa are having their 50th anniversary. Why don't you bring him home to meet the family? <laughs> and I'm like, uh, I don't think he's going to want to do that. <laughs> but I asked him, and he said yes. And uh, it was right after that. He, he's like, I, I knew I was going to marry you. And mm-hmm. it was. Let me, let me pause you a second. So you, Liz, you came from a background of some, some cultural Catholicism. Walt, really none of that, uh, kind of the school of Rush Limbaugh. Both of you had ethics, a sense, a general sense that there is a right and wrong. I think we can glean that maybe the sexual morality was not part of it, but you did have a sense of commitment with that mm-hmm. and having met each other. You used the word deep, though, Walt, and it's a good word. Um, but in absence of faith, how would you describe that relationship with Liz that was more than just flesh and blood? Mm. That's a great question. So, Trust was huge. Yep. We we built trust. We built trust instantaneously, almost. I would mm-hmm. say it's almost instant, instantaneous because of a, a couple different events um, right mm-hmm. at the beginning of our relationship. But I, I actually I think the deepness was actually because both of our parents were married, and we saw we saw the value the, in that. and the stability of marriage. Um, and there was no, there was no horsing around on the in the marriage whatsoever. I mean, my my parents were solid, and I wanted that. I mean, I I can't I can't ever remember a time that I didn't want children. I will always love children. Mm. Um, you know, a pro pro godly marriage, um, pro life. We didn't talk about those things in my family. However, there was absolutely no doubt in my mind. Like there, there wasn't even the reason to think otherwise, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like it was, it was, it would have been so against my my teaching. Like when mm-hmm. I first found out that abortion was even a thing in high school, I was just I was stupefied, mm-hmm. right? Just as it should be, right? As a natural reaction for a child to think, well, like so, if my mom didn't want me, she could just kill me. I mean, it, it's it's and it's so legal. bizarre. It's so out there. Um, so. Just because of the home I was raised in, the love that I was given, um, knowing that they were committed to me and loved me and cherished me, spent time with me, it taught me um, taught me how to, I guess, love and respect other people, at least in the way that I was shown. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when it came to sexual immorality, for example, those were just things that were just never discussed in our home. Never. Never, ever. I feel like it was discussed just very minimally in my home. It was just like, it, you should just know that it's not okay. Mm-hmm. But obviously, it, we we um, didn't get married for five years. Um, we lived together for part of our college. Um, and it was one of those things where yeah, I went in to tell my parents, and I was fearful to tell my parents. And I remember going to my mom. I'm like, 
So um, we've pretty much been living together already, but we actually signed a lease together this year with, <laughs> this is really bad, with three other, <laughs> him and three other guys. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice, yeah. They were like big brothers, though. Um, it, I don't recommend that for anyone listening, any <laughs> for anyone in the world, because it's just not right and it's not okay. Um, what was your mom's reaction? My mom... <laughs> So it was so beautiful. She was like, you know, she goes, Liz, it is not what I would choose for you, mm. but I still love you. Mm. And I will, I mean, I re, I can picture that. And I, I totally respect her for saying that. She told me that she didn't, she didn't think that was okay, but she's still going to love me. That was big. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like she did a great job. I thinking back though, I'm like, I wish my dad would have had some balls. Mm-hmm. I've been like, mm-hmm. what are you thinking? <laughs> <laughs> so you have the landscape of truth, which is a testimony to all of you who are listening, moms and dads, that just the way you live, the witness you give is formidable. And even though kids may uh, vary on that track, it's embedded in them and it's it's a source of strength for them. Uh, of course, the sexual morality, you're on a campus where, let's face it, uh, there's no norms, there's no morals there, but you guys had that sense of commitment, which is awesome. So move us into uh, late college, out of college, and, you know, with a specific emphasis on sort of that, so to speak, that spark of the divine, that hound of heaven that's embedded in you and how that emerged into your marriage and really kind of came alive. So I'm going to start with you. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to go here. Okay. So getting married, you know, everyone's like, Oh, it's so awesome. Fairy tales, you know, it's just beautiful, but they don't ever talk, talk about like after you get married, what it's like. And it was actually kind of hard for me. Um, I'm from Fort Wayne and we moved to Sylvania. And so I switched jobs. I, I did live at home for a year before we got married. So I, you're a nurse. I'm a nurse. Yeah. So I switched jobs. I got a new job in a new hospital. I moved to a new town. Um, I had no friends. I didn't know anyone there. It was a huge change for me. So that first year was really, really difficult for me. And I was a little bit mad at Walt because I'm like, you, you know, this is your hometown. You still go to work. You work out. You play volleyball. Like what's changed for you other than you have me at your convenience? I'm like, this is not okay. So obviously there was some 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 struggle there and some give and take um i wanted to be a mom so bad mm. i've always wanted to be a mom at two years old I, you know i've just had that always that calling in my I, i'm gonna be a mom well unfortunately my timing and god's timing timing not the same um it took us four years to get pregnant mm. or very long hard years for me are you believers at this point? Are you going to church? What is the role of God in your life at this point? I would say as our marriage went on, we would def- we started to go a little more. I can't tell you exactly when we started. I, I know that we, start, we never missed once we started going to baptism classes for Allie. So after we had Allie, um, you know, we're going to baptize her. We're going to raise her Catholic. We went to the baptism classes. And I remember in those classes, one of the deacons said, you know, so you are making a commitment to mm. God that you are going to raise your child in the Catholic Church and that you're going to live out your mm-hmm. faith. And it just struck me mm-hmm. like, whoo, huge responsibility. I got to do this because right. I'm promising to God. Let me back you up a little bit to baby pregnancy number one. And the context is Walt, who is not a practicing Catholic, uh, certainly hadn't been confirmed in that sort of thing. You're married. 
Um, you're faithful to each other. You're a nurse, Liz. You get pregnant. That's a significant time in your life where God spoke. Share with us the power of that pregnancy and what happened there and the effect on you, Walt, in particular. Well, I mean, super excited, obviously. Elated, actually. Um, I didn't know if it was going to happen, right? I really didn't know. And uh, I will tell you that some of our friends who were faith-filled from church kept saying things like, well, in God's time. In God's time, you'll get pregnant. You know, when the right when the time, when God's time is your time, I swear, I kept telling people, I'm going to duck the next person that says that because <laughs> I'm so sick of hearing it. And um, uh, it was hard, though. Like, it was it was hard not getting pregnant. But I also, I as, as Liz said, my life didn't change, right? Like, I was still doing everything that I knew. So it was it was okay. Um, I knew it was hard on Liz, but I didn't understand that until much later in life because it wasn't until much later in life that I realized that the colors of your wedding day are black and not white, you know, in dying to yourself. And and even if somebody told me that on my wedding day, I have no idea what they're talking about. I would have thought they're a lunatic. <laughs> um, but yes, getting getting pregnant with Allie was an immense blessing. I knew, I knew that there was a different role for me to play in my life. I didn't know what that was, but I knew it was profound. I knew it was different. I knew there was more expected of me. I couldn't, I couldn't live the way I was living anymore, which wasn't radical, right? I'm I'm not, I'm not anywhere per se that I shouldn't be. Um, but I also was not present. I was not involved in church. I, um, I mean, she drugged me there for the most part. And, um, it wasn't until, um, our second child came along that I just was really, really struck. I mean, the, the light bulb just went off. It mm-hmm. just totally went off. And I remember um, wanting to go through um, CHIRP and RCIA. You didn't choose the RCIA, though. You talked about it for years, but you didn't choose that until after Mary died. Our oh, third, that's right. That's our right. Third. So then, that's right. I started so we had after. two children really pretty close together. They're 18 months apart. And then got pregnant for Mary, um, our little our little uh, saint in heaven. Um, twenty eight weeks pregnant, everything's going fine and dandy. We sold our house because we only had a two bedroom house, and one was sleeping in the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> and that was Walt. <laughs> it didn't no. go very well. Um, and so um, went. I was living at home just for it was supposed to be just till like a week or so till we closed on our our new house. It's Indiana. In Indiana, yep. And um, one night I went to bed and I just didn't feel movement. And I remember knocking on my mom and dad's door. I'm like, Mom, I need to go to the hospital. Something's wrong. She's like, Oh no, no, it's fine. I'm like, No, for real, something is not right. And I and I just knew like yeah. it just was an empty presence like. So when we got to the hospital and they couldn't find a heartbeat, it was devastating. Mm-hmm. And I just, I was praying. As soon as I thought that there was an issue, I started praying Hail Mary it just over and over and over again. And so, and Walt wasn't with me. He was in Toledo because um, he was working and staying at a friend's house. And it was like midnight and my mom's trying to call him and he can't get it. He was not answering his phone. And so he calls one of the buddy that he's staying with, and thankfully Matt answered his phone and said, "Dude, your baby just died." Mm-hmm. That was just—it was devastating. 
So we waited until he got there, and uh, I'd already had two C-sections, so they had to do a C-section. And I remember when he came in to the to the hospital room, um, he lay down in the bed next to me, and I'm, we both like looked at each other and we're like, "This is going to make us stronger." Mm-hmm. Like we chose at that moment, you know, you had you have a choice. This is not going to kill us, and uh, it, that was mm-hmm. profound. Mm-hmm. So she died August eleven eleventh, and he started our CIA uh, in September. Wow. So he finally made that commitment to to become Catholic. Very moving to have that intercessor in heaven, not only the experience, but now the awareness of one who is a personal family saint, right? You would have intended to baptize her and all of that. So for all of those who have lost loved ones, uh, those who have uh, miscarriages, we regard ours also. I encourage anybody listening right now to, to call upon those saints and to ask for their intercession. So... Um, Walt, profound experience on you and Liz and kind of moves you into more than just sort of a, maybe a head knowledge or affirmation of the truth or it's a good ethical thing, but it seems to me that that opened up sort of a spiritual reality in your life, not only with the RCIA, but deepened that. Tell us how the Holy Spirit led both of you beyond that into a deeper understanding and embrace of Catholicism. So after after you went through CHIRP and IRCIA and RCIA was uh, an interesting experience um, because I was also listening to a lot of Catholic radio um, right here on Annunciation Radio, and things that we were being taught in RCIA weren't the same things that I was hearing on Catholic radio. And so then I said, Liz, isn't there like a book that actually has everything (laughs) that the Catholic Church actually teaches? She's like, yeah, it's a catechism. So I got that, and I'm like, this thing's four times as thick as the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so I started bringing that. I started bringing that, you know, to our to our RCA classes and so forth. And uh, don't get me wrong, there was a lo- there was a lot of beautiful teaching in the RCA, RCA class, but there were some that were misguided, not 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 correct. Just you know, not more. not what the not what the church was teaching. And and I you know I fought back on that. And um, anyways, what happened was I thought, well, you know what. If, if we're going to be Catholic, like I want to be all in Catholic. Like I, I don't need someone's version of Catholicism. Mm-hmm. I need true Catholicism because I was attracted to true Catholicism. And we need to see how it was lived out. Well, how, yes, how do you but, that this came, out? but that came later. Yeah. That came later. So, so once, um, once we really knew, I would say that, that you, you had to depend on the church herself and her teachings and not the people that ran mm. the parishes, right. right? Once, like once we put that together, it really opened the door big time. It's like, well, if we're going to, like, if we're going to do this, we got to, we got to lead this ourselves. We can't let, we can't let everybody else lead it. We're just going to be swimming in lukewarm water. And so we met, um, we met a couple, the Shriners, mm-hmm. um, did a year long Bible study with them. Who are not Catholic. They were not Catholic, Protestant. Protestant. Um, They'll be back. I think he was, right? (laughs) They might. They might. Love you, Jeff. Um, We're coming after you, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) Very, very, very solid. And, you know, when we walked in and and really got to know their family, and obviously when you are at at someone's home for four or five hours a week for a (laughs) year. For a long time. (laughs) um, You really get to know them. And they have 10 kids, and their kids are older than ours. A lot of them were like teenagers at that point. 
and to like come in contact with a teenager that talks to you and like cares about what you have to say and can carry on a conversation it was like okay what are you doing because i want to know because this Mm -hmm. is how i want my children to be Mm -hmm. yeah so so after that year i believe it was you know at the end of that um, I got to the point where I'm asking Jeff all kinds of things. We're asking how to discipline. Discipline was huge. Yep, huge, huge. I, mean, I, I see discipline as an absolute epidemic in our Catholic Church today, just true epidemic. Yes. Um, and, and it just, you know, it's just to the point where I get infuriated when I see people not do anything. Um, you know, just, I, don't, I, don't know what, I don't know what they think. Not right? saying our kids are awesome because we have our moments. <laughs> but but, awesome but I mean, just, just to know that. That there is something you can do to, so you can enjoy your children. You know, God didn't give them to here to torture us. I was, You're I was, the parent. Yep. That was something else he said was, um, you know, that you can, you are open to more children if you enjoy your children. People stop having children because they're not enjoying their children. Doesn't mean they don't love their children, but they're not right. enjoying their they children. They endure them, not to enjoy yes. them. Mm-hmm. So anyways, what was more profound, I think, than anything that I took out of there was, Jeff was, and I don't like to use the word spiritual, but I don't know what else to use here. It's a good word. He was a spiritual leader of their home, right? So like, who you know, is, is mom, you know, more in love with Christ and leading the family to Christ and dragging dad along, or is it dad? And it was dad 100%. Now, his, his wife is a beautiful woman, and she is very strong in her faith. Mm-hmm. And, and if he wasn't there, she would be. She's um, a great helpmate. Yes. She does her role yes. very well. She's outstanding. Um, and I thought, well, you know what? I need to I need to find this in the Catholic Church. And Let me pause you a second. So moving from this awesome evangelical friendship, not moving from it, but immersed in it and now looking for it alive in the Catholic Church, what were you aware of the sociological portrait, the statistical portrait of how significant it is for a father in particular to be the leader of his household? Were you aware of that, or was it just something in your heart that you wanted to be, um, I think you looked into it once. Yeah, were aware of it because you're a pretty statistical. Kind yeah, of guy. I I can't I can't tell you that I wasn't drawn to it in the first place, but like I don't know what half-assed means, so like I don't want to do. I, I'm not interested in that. Um, Amen. That's not how I grew up, right? So if you go back to how I grew up, everything was 110. percent So if you're gonna do something, like you know. And that's one of the things I fell in love with with Walt. If he was going to do something, he's going to do it 110%. Yep. So when he fell in love with me, he fell in love with me 110%. Mm-hmm. He courted me. He loved me. He mm, opened doors reliably. for me. He was just, I mean, a gentleman of all gentlemen. And he still is. Mm-hmm. And he does that now with our, with, our, with our girls and our children. And the way he runs his business and just mm. his friendship. And he just is. Involvement with us in yeah. every area. Um didn't want to depart too far except to just punctuate in this before you talk about your pursuit in the Catholic Church, folks who are listening. This isn't because the Catholic Church says it is. It's embedded in human nature, and it's verified sociologically. Just one stat. If the women are the sole leaders of the household and the dad is not involved, there's a 2% chance those kids are going to continue their faith. 2% chance. If it's just the mom, dad's not involved. If the dad is completely involved, but the mom isn't even in the picture, it's between 65 to 75% chance wow. that the child is going to continue in his faith. There's something, again, embedded 
in the in the wiring of our children something iconic of the father in heaven that a father uh is the one who who paves that way and we you know steph is one of 12 uh, i'm one of eight we can see in siblings and relatives this fact played out where there's a strong mom the dad's not involved they they will trend towards the dad so that's all i wanted to state on that mm-hmm. walt that yes you're you're being led here by your heart with truths but they're verified in reality so yes. from shriners no so we so I certainly came across those facts, um, which motivated me even more. And I, and I think something else important to point, point out about those facts is two things. One, it's not just Catholicism or Christianity, right? It's, it's Judaism. It's Muslim. It's Hindu. It's, it's, acro- it's across the board, right? It's, it's the way we were made. Um, and that is never, ever, ever to take away from all of the saints the uh, the women saints right um, like I I tend to believe with that being said that almost all moms are saints and and there's gonna be like boatloaded boatloads of saints uh, <laughs> you know all these old women saints in in heaven because what's happened is so many men have failed for so long the women have had to do everything and they're not supposed to mm. and 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 you know us men have decided well you know if i can just if i can get that $350,000 house and put my my wife in a nice suv i've done my job actually you've not done anything you've done absolutely nothing and in fact with all your kids you know on their ipods and everything else and watching movies and you have no idea what they're doing and this sexting now at 12 13 years old i mean people good people as we call them in today's secular society have no clue these things are happening under their own roof because they're too busy watching ESPN thinking that they've got it made. And then all of a sudden, you know, their daughter's pregnant at 15 and they're like, what happened? It's like, well, you weren't a dad. That's what happened. You didn't lead your family. That's what happened. Those are harsh realities. Nobody wants to hear that. Um, But I think in America too, we've, we've fallen apart on this thing called guilt. Like we've taken guilt and kicked it to the side. Like, well, we're never actually wrong. It's just, everything's an emotional feeling. It's like, no, there actually is wrong, and you need to own up to it. And um, I, again, that is the way I was raised. It's, it's, so it was innate in me to seek that. And so in the Catholic Church, I struggled immensely to find a husband that was a spiritual leader of his home. Time and time again, these guys that seem to be involved, seem to be you know knowledgeable, seem to have... Um, personal relationship with Christ or so it seemed they were telling me well actually no I, I would say my, my wife you know is a spiritual leader and I'm thinking does this exist in the Catholic Church like you know the Catholic Church is like there's like 60 million Catholics in the United States like is there anybody <laughs> is there any guys out there and so I'm like there's, there has to be like there has to be because if there isn't at some point in time statistically speaking our faith will be dead so a powerful thing truth so you can't shy away from truth. You, you just you can't shy away from it. Um, and so I sought and sought and sought, and um, I finally met uh, two men, very devout Catholic men, who were absolutely, without a doubt, the spiritual leaders of their home. And my friend Jeff, going back to my Protestant brother in Christ, he's like, don't just ask the wife, ask the kids. He said, you really want a true answer? Ask the kids. Because they're going to give you a true answer. And, I mean, all their kids, um, our friends out in Cleveland, was the other family. Mm. So, anyways, 
I just wanted to, I wanted to, I wanted to bird dog them. I wanted to look over their shoulder. I wanted to live with their families. I wanted to see what they did. And, um, and once I did, it gave me a game plan on not only have I seen this lived out right with a Protestant brother, but I wanted to see what this looked like, you know, with our own faith. Um, because, you know, I love my Protestant brothers and sisters, but, um, you know, we have the body of Jesus Christ in our church. And because we do, our church is so much more profound. Um, you're not just going to a building, right, to raise up holy music. Like, you are going there to visit the body of Jesus Christ. And, and to receive him. And to receive him, of course. And so it was different. I knew it was different. And I couldn't just rely on a Protestant brother, you know, as an example. I, I needed to I needed to know it was doable and achievable and what it looked like. And when I met these two uh, these two men, and we spent tons of time with their family, um, families, families. Yeah, there was no multi marriages. <laughs> <laughs> Rent a kid. <laughs> so um, you you pointed out, stated, uh, if you will, a value that merits all of our consideration, and more than consideration, it merits our looking in the mirror and being really honest, not with a sense of judgment, but with a sense of God's design for the desire of the best of our spouse and our family, which is to go to heaven. And that value is for men to be the spiritual leaders of their homes. And I know what you mean in that, Walt, is that you first and foremost have an authentic living relationship with Christ, that you are one, and I'm pronouncing this, you didn't say that, but I say that, I can say that, that, that you are pursuing the heart of Christ and you're desiring to have a faith life, a prayer life, and uh, to be the real deal because words are cheap and uh, dictates to our kids and structuring our lives around our homes are absolutely empty if they don't see our authentic love for Christ. But I want our listeners to know, and I'm stating this from knowing you, the reservations that may flood our minds and stand in the way of us doing that. Number one, men may feel, I didn't inherit this. You know, I didn't, I didn't get a dad who talked to me about faith and showed his love for Christ outwardly and, and relationally. Well, folks, Walt did neither. Walt did not have a, uh, loves his dad, and his dad gave him so many foundational values, but did not have a context where he had a comfort level. He, he yearned for something he didn't have. Number two, wow, I'm so busy. I got a lot going on. Mm. Walt, when we met you, he had four kids. You were managing your dad's company, which is a significant operation. Add two more kids. Last year, you had three major things that are often game changers for families. You had a job shift, in a sense, greater responsibility in leading your company. You had a new child, and you had a new house, all of which involved some major transformations. And add to it the complications with little baby Lucy. Mm -hmm. um, so, folks, if you're listening right now, you're, dealing, you're, you're, you're listening to a younger couple who have dealt with the major challenges of life, who confess their sin and the cultural reality in those streams, Walt without that experience from a family that did it, and now giving testimony to the challenge, but the joy and the delight of this journey of more fully receiving Christ outpoured, and speaking strongly to men and saying, not just, you know, where are all these men, but maybe you men can do this. So I want to shift in a second, Walt, you and Liz also from a female perspective to those men right now are saying, I don't know how to lead. What are you even talking about? I take my kids to mass. So we know it's not that. 
Mm-hmm. It's not even just praying the rosary and going to Mass and sending your kids to Catholic schools. In fact, that may be a setback, another conversation, another time. But, but what is the vision of a man leading in his home? What does it even look like? And how do you take the steps to get there? Okay. I'm going to go first a little bit here because obviously our relationship started off with me as being the leader because he wasn't mm-hmm. really any practicing anything. Um, and so I was like, okay, we got to do this. We got to do this. Let's play rosary. Let's do this. And I actually had to learn from our Protestant brothers and sisters how to just step back and be a helpmate and mm-hmm. let him lead. Mm-hmm. And that is That's hard. A great point. It is very hard, and it it takes some learning, and it also takes some. It takes a lot of communication, and and not being hurt with that communication. Mm. Like it has to actually be open. Like, honey, I'm sorry. I know I failed, and I should have let you do this or what have you. But let's talk about this, or or how how can we do this better? And we actually had you know had to start praying together. Oh, that's awkward. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Um, Praying together and me stepping back was a huge, huge start for our... Liz, let me uh, understand and put words that I understand as you're speaking. It wasn't just you stepping back. It was your your level of confidence and trust from a conversation with Walt that the space that you allowed, he would take steps to filling. Right. Oh, yeah. He, I, had, I couldn't just step back and let nothing happen. Like we had to, he had to know that this was his, this was his calling. You know, he has to get his wife and children to heaven. What does that look like? So, Walt, what does that look like? And speak to the men out there uh, to be a spiritual leader of your home as best as you understand it now. And for those who are on the sidelines, we know they want to in their heart of hearts. What can they do? Well, I pass no judgment because. Like everybody else, I shouldn't say everybody else, like many possibly listening, I didn't know. I had no clue. I had no clue what it looked like. I didn't even know I was meant for it. didn't even know I was supposed to be doing it. But what I will tell you is every single male that's a father on all the earth that's ever existed and ever will is meant to be the spiritual leader of their home. Number one, first and foremost, end of story. I think the, the catastrophic issue we have is there is such a drastic shortage of examples of what that looks like. We have no idea. And what I tell people is, is like, if somebody wrote a book on what it's like to be a Marine, or if somebody wrote a book on what it's like to be, you know, a running back in the NFL, um, they could tell you all the plays, they could tell you all their experiences and everything else, but how you really, really, really get to know what it's really, really like is when you're in battle next to the Marine, right? When you're in the backfield with the running back playing the game. And so all the books and all the little, you know, gatherings that we do is, you know, to help um, set off a spark for us to get interested in our faith. You know, God can speak through those, of course, but to me it's like reading a book about it. Um, You actually have to do it. And so what I knew was, I had to see this happen. I had to see this happen. And what's profound, and my dad taught me this from a very young age too, he said, Walt, you want to judge people and know their character? Look at their kids. Look at their kids. That is their fruit. End of story. And um, I can't tell you how many, how many politicians my dad has voted for just by looking at their kids and how, how do their kids respond and 
and you know are their kids' lives you know together and so forth and and um, that was profound. That was profound for me. So so you know a family who's got their stuff together, right, means that their kids are going to be solid. We solid kids are not going to be a mess. Um, and you know there are many 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 people who I think disagree with me and they say, well, Walt, your kids aren't old enough yet, you know, so you don't really know this. But the problem is, is I do know it because I've seen it. I have seen 10 kids go through their teens into their college years and not one has fallen. Now, sure, have they cussed? Yes. You know, have, they are they on their, well, yeah, the, right, that's not, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, they're still virgins. And they are in love with in Christ. Love with they're Christ. reading scripture every day. They're praying every right. day. They're, they would never, not only would they never miss mass, they're asking others to come, right? They're still inviting others. Like God's not a part of their life. God is their life. And I think if I had to describe what spiritual leader means to me is God is the center of everything. And we have heard that how many times in, in mass, right? How many times we heard on the radio, but that's what it is. And it's just words unless you see it actually lived. Well, I think that's what Craig's asking you, though. What do you do? How do you make that happen? Well, thank you, Les. <laughs> <laughs> Good talk show host, and you're right on. <laughs> so um, starting at home, which is obviously the most important place, is like when I come home, for example, make sure that I actually greet my wife and my children, regardless of what else I'm about to do. Um, just letting, you know, letting the kids know that my wife is important and that I love her. Um, I've had so many people, uh, so many older people say that that's, a, that's like the best gift you can give your, your kids is, is let them know, right, that, uh, that mom and dad are safe and solid because it gives them a foundation, like they know everything's okay because that's where, that's where the strength comes from. Um, we pray together as a family all the time. Um, it's all the time. Mm-hmm. It's not like this random awkward prayer, right, where we just pray the same nine words before every time we eat dinner. That's not, that's, I mean, it's some kind of prayer, all right, but that's not from the heart. It's not spontaneous. You're not, you're not talking to a friend. You don't go and see your friend every single day and say nine, nine of the same words. That's not. We still do those prayers. <laughs> <laughs> we do. Um, but so it's I put, a relationship. It is. You share relational language and right. teach them to open their hearts. Right. Yes. So and I, we say sorry a lot. Mm. Yes. And we forgive a lot. <laughs> yep. Um, and here very recently, uh, well, we have been praying over our kids for a while. Um, we'll get our, all of our kids together um, at least every week. Um, and then certainly before bed. I mean, our, our family, all, we all pray multiple times every single day. And it's to the point where I don't have to remind my kids to pray. Oh yeah, they are they are praying on their knees in their bedrooms before the b- little before crucifix the crucifix on their own. Um, why? Why? Because that's what mom and dad do, mm-hmm. and they and they see the peace and the joy of the home they live in, right? And they know that we give all glory to Christ, all, and that's what they should do. Mm-hmm. And our oldest two. Our, especially our oldest one, is really, really starting to, you can see, um, like when she doesn't feel good or when she's struggling with something or she's concerned about someone, right? She goes straight to prayer. Yeah, we have a friend whose grandma died last week, 
And I walked in the bedroom to give them their blessings and kisses goodnight. And all the four little, you know, the four big, I should say my four big ones, <laughs> were kneeling in front of the crucifix, praying the Divine Mercy Chaplet for that grandma. Aww. Like, brought tears to my eyes. Yes. Like, I, I didn't say anything about praying. that She just let it. It was beautiful. And then after the next day, she goes, Mom, it was so cool. Zeke, he's four. He was singing it, too. You know, it was so beautiful. So just to know that Christ is accessible to us and we can have a relationship with him and in the Holy Spirit at any time, how many of us really truly believe that and avail ourselves to that encounter, which impels them to want to pray, right? They want to pray because they know God is here and he's alive and he's relevant. Um, Well, you had to overcome, I suspect, or learn what it meant to open that relationship dimension that made it all come alive. Mm -hmm. Um, You didn't inherit that. Um, I know you talked about Chris Seo another time, another place. You heard men give great witness to their difficult lives and stories. You know, that was a big piece of your life. Certainly Mm -hmm. the witness of other men talking about this. Um, Maybe just verify or validate for me the degree to which our families are starving for us to create the atmosphere where they can be who they are, which is to say sons and daughters of God and Jesus Christ, how much they're starving for dad and mom to open up that landscape to give them permission to pray and to interact in that ways, and how you've experienced that, and certainly you also, Liz, in your home. Well, I, I actually think one of the, one of the ways it's, it's obviously known is people who know our family well and start, had, have, have seen our family grow, um, are profoundly affected by the way our family operates. Um, you know, we were just sadly at a funeral, for example, and we had loved ones um, with older kids than ours talk about how they're struggling mightily at home. Um, their with, teenagers are not getting along. Right. And they do not like each other. They tell they they say they don't want to be in the same house as each other. They do everything they can to, to not be with their own family. And like one mom... Um, you know, she said she just created a, a rule that says they have to say I love you um, every single night, which, you know, it's it's like part of me is like I totally get why that has to be said looking at society. But like in my own home, I would just be like, what? Yeah, Allie was standing there and heard the conversation. She's my 10-year-old. And she looked at me and she goes, we love each other, Mom. Like, we want you to have more children. <laughs> like, they're already praying for another baby, and Lucy's just one. So, so I, I mean, just in that, and actually those two family members that he's talking about were like, we love it. To, we love seeing you guys. Whenever we see you, you just, you're fa- you just bring so much joy. Look at, we're at a funeral setting, and people are smiling. So That's uh, awesome. Can you share the story of your children praying? Yeah. I want to hear that before you do, just for our audience to know that our kids and us were hungry for this encounter and we're capable of the encounter. Mm-hmm. And so there's fear to get there, right? There's a big mm-hmm. chasm of fear and awkwardness and how does that look or whatever. But I just want to punctuate what you folks are hearing right now. We're hungry for this and we're capable of it. And at some point, we got to set the stage for it to happen. And what you're going to share while well, I just invite you, as Steph queued you up with, is the degree to which even little ones are capable of doing things that can blow our minds and bless us profoundly. So our our 10-year-old, 9-year-old, and 5-year-old, all girls, um, we started to pray, um, light a candle, right? Um, open prayer, listen to some good music, um, really focus on our week, 
and ask for forgiveness within the family, ask for forgiveness uh, with maybe things that weren't even done at home. Uh, what are we thankful for, right? Who do we need to pray for? What we're struggling with, um, what we've been blessed with. And my kids are very comfortable going around and sharing those things. Uh, very used to that because we've been doing that all the time. But, but allowing our kids to actually pray over each other and even us, like lead in prayer. And I figured my 10-year-old and maybe my 9-year-old would be comfortable, but no way my 5-year-old. Um, and I was wrong. And my five-year-old was very comfortable, and my 10- and 9-year-old were extremely comfortable to the point where next time we did it, my four-year-old son. And even my four-year-old son, now, now so awesome. he's, you know, he's, he's sorry for you know, not eating enough candy sometimes, right? <laughs> so when he had the opportunity, apparently. Praise but, Thanksgiving for graham crackers. <laughs> yes. I'm very sorry for that, by the way. <laughs> but he, uh, he pays attention enough, right? that he's able to, you know, pray over one of his sisters, for example, and he's paying attention to what they're saying, mm. right? And especially if they say, you know, you know, we're sorry for being mean to Zeke or selfish, you know, to Zeke, and, you know, we kept him out of games or we didn't want him to break something. And, you know, he'll, he'll say things like, I'm, you know, I forgive you and I love you, and, and it's, it's very beautiful. Erickson's Walton List, delightful having you with us and to be on this journey tonight. And just want to tell you folks listening right now, we have amazing families that are pursuing God's heart radically. And we're, we're broken, we're fallen, but we're seeing tremendous steps of growth. And we invite you to join us in this journey. There's nothing more powerful, nothing more essential right now. Go to ilovemyfamily.us. ilovemyfamily.us. It's a one-pager. It kind of clarifies the things we're talking about tonight and what we're all about. And it is truly, as Pope John Paul II, the future of humanity passes by way of the family. Let's receive that grace to live it out to overflow. God bless you all.